Hello and thank you for tuning in to a new episode of our special research radio program that focuses on Dr. B R Ambedkar and his mission of achieving liberty, equality and fraternity. I'm Abhishek and I'm happy to be back from our hiatus with two more episodes. From academic writing to social media, Dr. Ambedkar's scholarship and actions are receiving renewed attention due to the efforts by Dalit Bahujan scholars and thinkers. The podcast you're listening to right now is one specific example of this. And while my guest today has been writing on Dr. Ambedkar for several decades, he's more recently focused on frameworks on how to read Ambedkar. Professor Gopal Guru is currently the editor of EPW and was formerly professor at the Center for Political Studies at Jawaharlal Nehru University in Delhi. We'll be discussing several works including Ethics of Reading Ambedkar's Text and Professor Guru's lecture at the English and Foreign Languages University from 2017. I recommend reading and listening to those two works and I've shared links to both in the show notes. Thank you for joining us on Research Radio Professor Guru. A warm welcome to you. Thanks Abhishek. This is a long time coming and I'm glad you know we've been able to have this conversation. Uh, so in one of your EPW articles you've written that quote accessing Ambedkar's text with the intention to make it part of fashion would suggest both the lack of hermeneutic depth and epistemic commitment to the content of his original texts end quote. Could you tell us more about this uh, how to seriously engage with the text rather than to consume it and you know the other problems that are uh, involved in approaching Ambedkar's text Yeah let's let's start uh, with the general problems that are associated with uh, approaching uh, Ambedkar's text uh, I should also share with you that uh, it is quite encouraging to uh, see that a lot of scholars are now actually approaching uh, Ambedkar's text uh, from all the disciplines literature mm-hmm. philosophy theory history political science all that is happening and they also are from different age groups and and gender background so it is always encouraging but at the same time we also have problems with this people approaching uh, Ambedkar's text what are the problems the problems are twofold one is that you know Ambedkar's text uh, have become an event in the sense that you know you don't require to read ambedkar you don't require to have some kind of homework done before you actually speak about ambedkar uh, you are actually like uh, the any uh, musical concert manager you actually manage to organize discussion on ambedkar's books without actually knowing uh, what is there in the text and so you are you are a simple mechanical manager of the text that is being discussed you don't have to actually make any investment any kind of epistemic and discuss investment in studying ambedkar uh, so for this is one big problem so it becomes event management actually and so uh, uh, the other problem is that you know you have a very reading ambedkar also has become a passion as a fashion not passion and if it is passion this is a different thing if but it has become a fashion just because ambedkar has some kind of a value in the academic and circle so you keep on working on i mean you you, you study ambedkar's ideas the ideas that are actually that have become fashionable in the, in the in the in the academic circles or in the in the political circles for example if it is annihilation of caste you will actually speak about annihilation of caste and uh, actually without uh, without actually making any kind of a subsidiary background 
uh, contextual readings because Ambedkar text is not actually existing in isolation. It exists only, only in, in the presence of other texts as well. So you just pick up, singularize the text and discuss that text. That would That is just actually very, very unfair. You have to have a kind of a, a, a ecology of text. You have to actually cover different texts in order to make sense of this annihilation of course, for example. That is to say, you have to study uh, Hind Swaraj, you have to study other other scholars, other, other, other texts as well. Actually, uh, if you are studying annihilation of caste, you have to study texts that are written by uh, social anthropologists, anthropologists proper. So there's a lot of work, which is a contemporary work. Uh, this text was written in 1936. There are uh, several texts around that time which also uh, have been written on the same subject. But you just pick up this uh, this annihilation of caste and and talk start talking about it. So that is really really unfair. So uh, it becomes a fashion. Whatever is there available as a matter of fashion, you have to simply use your language, uh, uh, your writing skill, uh, and that is good enough for you to go about accessing the text. But that is half the story. The full story you need to know many texts that are uh, built up around in the same period. Mm-hmm. So two things. So one is the fact that some people are not reading, and uh, the other is like you know, you know having enough context around uh, around Ambedkar's text, and not doing it only because you know it's it's something it's fashionable, and that too as a result of uh, you know Dalit Bahujan scholars who have made uh, you know Ambedkar's text uh, a part of curriculums if, if wherever it is you know today. Yeah. Um, and I think this, you know, leads nicely to the question about social media and knowing, uh, you know, about uh, the the role that uh, it may seem a little tangential and, you know, out of the, the flow of our questions. But, you know, what role social media could could play in uh, taking the reader closer to understanding and, you know, maybe interpretations if, if you could uh, like enlighten us about that. Yeah, I mean, as you know, social media uh, plays a very important role in terms of understanding any thinker including Ambedkar. But, you know, social media also has a little problem in the sense that, you know, it can actually distribute the text in its fragments, not in its totality, not not as a complete text. So uh, you can actually fragment it, actually, in terms of the captions, in terms of some mm. uh, quotation, in terms of certain other... I mean, you can just highlight certain points uh, uh, dot points or maybe some other points but that of course is not wrong it is important but then you should go beyond that actually find out that those points should really provide you as background within which you can develop some kind of a some kind of intellectual curiosity to go to the original text mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know you actually survive only on text you jump from one sorry you just uh, you you survive only on dots, quotations, and captions, mm. Mm. and then you jump from one caption, one quotation to another quotation. Actually, without understanding, foregrounding this quotation in the larger philosophical, theoretical, political, cultural, anthropological, aesthetic context of that particular quotation. So I think it becomes a superficial treatment that one can give to give to a particular text, including Ambedkar's text. So I think this is one problem with the social media. But now there are other uh, there are other attempts in the in the in the recent times where you find uh, some certain social media is picking up one theme uh, and uh, 
that theme is taken and the discussion is built up around that so i think if you actually thematize your discussion through social media that will actually encourage you to go into much deeper discussion that is found in that not only in that text but other corresponding text mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. so social media has a very important role to take people to larger serious discussion mm-hmm. on a particular thing that is available in text for example in ambedkar's text on annihilation of caste you can find this secondly social media also uh, avoids help you avoiding some kind of a gossip kind of text so no, you have to have you can offer some evidence or with year of year of publication page numbers sections and all that mm-hmm. so that uh, so you uh, it can actually discipline you so i had mentioned one point in uh, in, in the annihilation of castro and that was about the discursive rationality mm-hmm. so the discursive rationality will say look here you know you have to cover all the points which are important they make sense together not in isolation mm-hmm. so that becomes a possibility when you initiate discussion through social media mm-hmm. so social media attends to things one it takes you to larger context serious discussion observation of academic scholarship also also it also avoids pitfalls of fiction gossip all that so social media plays a very very important role i think but yeah. it has to be carefully handled by those who are actually handling it it should not be slogan mongering or shovel slogan shouting or jumping from quotation to another quotation yeah i think uh, especially the point about um, um seeing it as a part of the larger uh, um, text would be important even in the uh, relationship with other texts that you mentioned in the first response uh, of our conversation um and you know now that we've kind of covered some of the challenges and you know pitfalls that we should avoid uh, while reading uh, uh, an annihilation of caste uh, i was interested in this one quote that i found quite uh, powerful in in the, in the article where you've said that the very act of reading has a civilizing impact on a reader so if we can you know uh, unpack this quote and particularly you know what makes it relevant when we talk about annihilation of caste so i think there are two ways of uh, uh, reading the text mm-hmm. uh, and particularly texts written by all those people who have suffered uh, historical injustices like uh, jyotirab phule or dr bhimrao ambedkar or some black thinkers in the us so when you are actually studying them you cannot study them uh, with a very dry uh, understanding a dry, dry approach approach that is devoid of emotions that is devoid of ethics so you uh, you have to actually uh, enter the text with lot of ethical baggage ethical pressure that you are not going to actually use it Uh, for consumption purely intellectual uh, consumption you are you are actually going to learn something from it not for your personal uh, aggrandizement but actually enlarging your mentality to see the problems that are actually discussed in that particular text so you actually establish some kind of a relationship with the problems that uh, with the problems that are there in, in the text and problems that continue to get continue to exist outside the text mm-hmm. so uh, that mediation has to take place through your reading you are reading plus writing you can't be a dispassionate writer as far as these uh, texts are concerned these texts by uh, dr ambedkar are concerned because entering the text is a risky job as i mentioned in one of the one of the articles in ibn that is like you know you you enter the you are, you should be ready to actually suffer some kind of moral injuries because it will hit you mm-hmm. the text which is written in a very straightforward uh, very 
intimate fashion will it is is likely to uh, make you uncomfortable it can morally hit you so you have to be ready to take that blow moral ethical blow while you are actually reading the text uh, you uh, so it starts simply uh, 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 some kind of uh, engaging it's not it's not like a horror story it's not like a fiction novel it's something which will actually trouble you disturb you morally uh, you will have to stop and then read you just can't it, it, it's some engrossing it's not that kind of a reading that you have it's not a it's not a linear reading of a particular text you have to think about it stop about it that's why reading is always risky it is always it will always take you at the crossroad it will always disturb your settled thinking mm-hmm. uh, these mm-hmm. at these 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 texts are uh, they have this uh, Uh, ethical function to perform so in that sense you can say that text by bhimra uh, ambedkar or jyotira phule or other feminist writers have a civilizing impact that it actually works as if it is it is like a very strong chemicals which works on your very rigid uh, mm-hmm. attitude or perspective you have you are sub, you, you become vulnerable to pressures metrical mm-hmm. pressure of this and you will begin to change yourself in the light of emancipatory mode that is followed by the text mm-hmm. and that's uh, quite a powerful uh, uh, you know impact that a text can have and i think maybe that's also one of the reasons why it attracts uh, annihilation of caste attracts people from different disciplines um so i think that i think leads well to a certain extent to uh, some of the questions that you pose on the process of writing about how to read uh, annihilation of caste uh, in your based on your uh, talk at the uh, university of foreign languages uh, foreign and english languages uh, iflu um and i, I just wanted to you know uh, quickly summarize them and then if uh, you know you could take us deeper into one or two that you feel uh, are quite uh, you know close to your heart uh, one Please go ahead. First, yes so the first one is you know you question if uh, annihilation of caste is a pragmatic text which is you know offering policy alternatives to the government of uh, india to annihilate caste is it something that today the niti ayog would you know read and consider uh, second you know is it a text that is full of complaints about the victimhood that uh, dalits experience a third uh, you question if it's a polemical text that inevitably gives equal advantage to the adversary uh, fourth you is the question about leadership so following ambedkar you contend that quote however maha the pan- however maha the pandit like you know uh, maha as in great the pandit is however big on and erudite the pandit is from an untouchable caste he can never be accepted by the brahmins as their leader end quote so if you can you know maybe one or two of these uh, that you feel are you know uh, the most important to unpack yeah i think the first point that we have to see is this annihilation of caste is not about annihilation that is some that, that is to say that there is some kind of a disease mm-hmm. of course casteism is a disease and there are, there is actually and it is visible and you can always go and uh, treat that disease and this uh, and then and eliminate the problem so the casteism caste practices are not like they are there existing there as a visible problem they are actually uh, permeated uh, in the society through different cultural psychological moral political philosophical processes so uh, dr ambedkar actually is hinting at that and he is not only talking about uh, problems that have deeper 
permeation in these processes, but it also has some family corresponding impact, corresponding relationship with other social problems existing elsewhere in the world, like black problem. So that is one uh, one uh, very very substantive dimension of the annihilation of caste. Uh, the other other uh, other uh, dimension of this annihilation of caste is talks about principles. It talks about values. For example, it talks about uh, equality. But when it approaches equality, it doesn't actually start from the top. As they say in uh, tautological understanding of any concept or any principle, like you start with equality, you start with friendship, you talk, start with justice. Ambedkar doesn't start with that. He starts with uh, uh, the notion of inequality. That's why there is a, there is a graded inequality. That is the word that he is using mm-hmm. in that particular text. So uh, you actually open up into this into the discussion or into the problematic, uh, not through the positive language of equality, but through the not through the affirmative language of equality, justice, or other things, but necessarily through the negative language like inequality. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that people from the so how to read it, and there is some kind of a protocol of reading a particular text. Uh, so the justice to reading a text. So you just start, don't start mechanically or superficially from, oh, there is some kind of discussion on equality or justice and you start. No, no, that would be misreading of the text. Mm-hmm. It necessarily starts with the negative language. Why negative language? Because, you know, his experience has been injustice, not injustice. His experience has been inequality. In his own life, you find that he was actually confronted with injustices, not with equality. Inequality uh, is the front of the problem, while equality and justice remain into the background. They are not absent, but they are in the background. Mm-hmm. So when you are invoking, you invoke injustice only, and uh, not justice. So we uh, injustice is done to me. That's why the text annihilation of caste is actually annihilation of caste is the ultimate uh, expression. What is important in the annihilation of caste is that you know inequality, in, in discrimination. Injustice. These are the frontal concepts uh, which are not uh, which are not actually properly theorized by people, but they are there waiting for their theoretical attention in the text called Annihilation of Caste. But scholars actually miss that and it, they actually take it to a polemical level, what Gandhi has said and what Ambedkar has said. So that is actually grossly unfair to read the text. Hmm. Uh, so you actually have, there is a framework. There's a framework, there's a protocol framework within which you have to approach the problem. The framework is that you necessarily start with the negative, not the tautological, the affirmative. But people miss it because that won't, uh, it requires some kind of a patience, some kind of a readiness to understand mm-hmm. and perhaps interpret. But that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And um, when we were discussing the, you know, parts about uh, morality, uh, you also compare these two different kinds of uh, morality. So the emancipatory practice uh, by uh, Dr. Ambedkar and the thug morality uh, that's uh, produced by the caste structure. So if we can uh, walk us through both these uh, kinds of morality and the importance. So uh, I know there are two problems, you know, when uh, you can always apply your formal logic to understand the understand the understand the text. What is formal logic? The formal logic is that you know you actually don't have to make any reference to the experience or social reality within which uh, the text has been formulated. 
the formative grounds of the text is the empirical reality that existed historically over a period of time. And Ambedkar's text and the Dhoti Rampune's text actually happen in the very concrete historical context. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people don't do that. They jump, they actually connect these texts with another text. And uh, I take one concept, for example, and you connect it with another concept. So uh, they, 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 then they bring in very un, uh, uncomfortable comparisons like uh, between Ambedkar and Foucault, Foucault and Ambedkar, Ambedkar and Agambe and Ambedkar and, and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, but that is uh, formal logic. That, that, that doesn't really understand the syntax and the thrust of the text. The text evolves with its own logic, which actually is a very dialectical logic, which actually grows in tension with the reality or in conformity with the reality, it hmm. actually. Uh, caste, for example, the annihilation of caste actually is not developing as outside the caste reality, the caste experience. Actually, developing with the concrete, historically given reality such as caste discrimination and touchability. But people don't don't carry that burden. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, to that extent, you can say there's a thuggery in, in all in this. Hmm. Uh, to some extent, you know, it's, it's a very hard uh, word, but you know, you can uh, but you can say there's an unfair, uh, there's an easy route that they are selected to really approach because connecting it is to really familiarize yourself with uh, the reality. Hmm. And so, uh, even I'm not saying that those people who are born in lower caste have better understanding or advantage to do it. They sometimes also forget to connect it. Uh, they also are fascinated by actually jumping from one concept to another concept. So that would be uh, uh, that would be incorrect reading of the text. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the aspect about uh, the empirical reality uh, and the relationship, you know, because if this is being taught in a classroom environment, the fact that this the um, basis of this of of caste discrimination and untouchability is prevalent within and outside of it as well. Yeah, so obviously I should also add if it is a classroom situation, if the yeah. teacher if the teacher is teaching annihilation of caste and he's uh, he or she is not she is not aware about the empirical reality, then that person will build up argument only within the very discursive sphere of. You know, connecting one concept with another concept, actually, for equality, for example. He or she will not start with inequality. We'll necessarily start with equality, equality of Plato, Aristotle, and others. So I think you don't have, you don't have to care. And people, the students who are sitting in the classroom will also love it because that's a fascinating exercise that is happening because no one is actually investing any kind of moral capital mm-hmm. in, in reading the text. You know, they're all free from this moral burden of really knowing the reality of gender, caste, all that. So that is see, happening. Uh, if at all they are teaching annihilation of caste, some of them are do teach, but if at all they are teaching annihilation of caste, uh, that is a real serious pedagogical problem with teaching annihilation of caste. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this also relates to the fact of reading uh, and as has a, has a civilizing impact that, that we discussed uh, earlier in the conversation. Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, continuing this uh, uh, thread of line, uh, you know, you've written about the belief that upper caste increase the value of Dr. Ambedkar's text and Dalits are the reason for its devaluation. Uh, you've written that quote, from this point of view, one may compare Dalits with the touch me not plant, yeah. which has a constricting power to shrink its leaves the moment they are touched. Yeah. The moment Dalits would touch the text, it will shrink in terms of its universal essence. 
end quote. So if you can, you know, tell me about where this metaphor came from and the implications for universality and emancipation. You know, uh, what has happened over the period of time uh, globally and locally, that you require a particular uh, uh, darling author to actually uh, write about Ambedkar, uh, take uh, Ambedkar's reading, uh, writings uh, to the people and uh, um, people also actually trust that particular author. For example, in the West, you find that uh, those who are working on Ambedkar do not actually put scholars in, in, in India. Uh, their, their scholars, uh, their reference point is only those scholars who are the non-Indian residents, NRIs. And so, uh, but they would be coming here, collecting data and all that. So what does, what does it mean? How do we understand this? This is an ethical problem. Uh, is our study of Ambedkar inferior? Is it inadequate? Is it uh, not fitting to the hmm. uh, protocols of disposition, theory, and hypothesis? How, why, what is the ground on which they actually avoid your quotations and they hmm. put hmm. people from the same background? Uh, same, uh, so so that, as, uh, that I mean, there, I don't know how to understand this, but this is what is happening in the field of uh, scholarship. So you are actually not, uh, uh, you are not interested in actually expanding the uh, contours of the debate, but you are actually uh, in a way uh, uh, fashioning out certain uh, material which is palatable to the academic taste of the people. Yeah, this is uh, a very unfortunate development that has taken place in the field of scholarship and imagination about Ambedkar particularly. Hmm. And um, as we approach, you know, the last uh, two questions, I think, um, I wanted to change gears and uh, know about the relationship, someone we've been referencing throughout uh, this conversation that you've been referencing, uh, Jyotira Phule and Dr. Ambedkar. Uh, if we can, you know, um, explore some of the areas of similarities and differences in thought and action. I mean, I know that this can be an entire uh, uh, podcast or a book in itself, but a few would be great. Ambedkar himself has actually accepted three gurus, and this is an off-repeated point. Uh, one is uh, Buddha, the other one is Kabir, the other one is Jyotira. Hmm. Now, so since they are gurus of Ambedkar, Ambedkar is our guru, for example, because uh, they form into a particular critical tradition of understanding and transformation and emancipation. So uh, their emancipatory thought uh, overlaps in different degrees, but it does overlap. Okay, and so uh, an Ambedkar actually is actually appropriating critically the emancipatory impulses that are available in the philosophy, politics of, of these three great people, uh, Buddha, Kabir, and Fule. Now, uh, so this tradition, uh, they, as they call, and I won't call it a Bhojan tradition, I'll call it a Shudra, Ati Shudra tradition. Mm-hmm. This is Jyotira Fule's terminology. Mm-hmm. Or you can call it a Buddhist tradition. But mm-hmm. Buddhism, Bhujan actually originates in Buddhism. Uh, so it's not a separate, people don't really refer to this anyway. It has become such an easy category uh, available. It is a fashion fashion category actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks to the electoral politics which has made it fashionable, uh, uprooting it from its own philosophical contours, anchorages. So uh, the critical tradition of the Shudra, the Shudra or the Buddhist tradition is a tradition of association. They, mm-hmm. they, it is actually associated in terms of its commitment to the emancipation. So uh, you, ideas evolve in terms of this commitment, not 
in isolation with this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that is the great contribution. So we have to think about this tradition not in isolation but in association in terms of the uh, intellectual overlap, in terms of uh, the uh, normative overlap. Mm-hmm. And there is a common agenda to take uh, to 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 change the society, society mm-hmm. which is egalitarian in a very radical sense, not in a libertarian sense, liberal liberal sense. Yeah. And just a last question, uh, if we can. So suppose I just got a book, uh, The Annihilation of Caste, in my hands, and what is you know some of the suggestions that you have, maybe a few, uh, two or three, that I should keep in mind when I'm you know uh, starting on the first page of the book. So you have to first of all, uh, uh, you have to ask your uh, ask the question yourself. Why do you want to read this book? Mm-hmm. That is the first. Uh, question that you have to ask. Do you want to read it just because it's a time pass? Uh, do you want to read it just because there's a lot of polemics involved in this uh, which is not there? Uh, how? Why do you want to read this book? Is there a purpose? I think though, you have to actually foreground yourself into uh, this causal relationship. Why do you want to read this text? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you, can, then you can start reading the text. You know, it should, it's, it's a curiosity question that you should start that you don't know much about it's philosophical, uh, theoretical, political, cultural dimension. You are deficient, and therefore you want to uh, approach this uh, uh, this text. Maybe uh, uh, you uh, you have read other texts on caste, but you are not satisfied with them. Mm-hmm. So you want to uh, uh, make a complete argument by reading this. So that kind of self limitation should be the starting point when you actually approach this mm-hmm. text. Mm-hmm. So, but does it happen is the question. And then you uh, then uh, you must have a rich understanding of the problem of caste. Now, uh, not, simply, uh, ca- uh, not simply caste as a practical problem that has to be eliminated with certain 25 programs or some policy in- intervention and initiatives. You have to actually, first of all, understand what is the text about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So these three questions you must always have. Some kind of, you must have some kind of curiosity. You must have some kind of anxiety to know more about caste. And that is what is, the annihilation of caste is an invitation to take you into deeper questions of caste. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. I think that was a really uh, illuminating conversation. Um, and really fits perfectly with uh, the thread of our series so far. Thanks, thanks, Abhishek, for this conversation. Yeah, thank you. I hope you liked that conversation with Professor Gopal Guru. This is the seventh episode of our special program that explores the multiple dimensions of Dr. Ambedkar's thought and practice. Do have a look at our previous episodes if you haven't already. We'll be back with our last episode in one week. Take care, and I hope you tune in wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs>